Hello and welcome back to the Reformed Affections podcast. Today I'm going to be looking at Psalm 11, doing a bit of a devotional episode, just talking through some of the great themes that we actually find in this psalm, talking about resting in the true knowledge of God that Christians have, talking about the ways of the world and how they come into contact with Christians and how we are to react to them. Uh, We're going to talk about how God detests the wicked, how his soul hates them. And we'll also end by looking at God as our righteous rock, our refuge, the one in whom we take all our protection. All of our grace comes from him. So we're going to begin by reading through Psalm 11. It's only a short psalm, seven verses. So Psalm 11. In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes, behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Amen. So the outline of the psalm is that the saints take refuge in God. The wicked set themselves against God and against godly counsel. The Lord hates the wicked but loves the righteous. And the righteous will hold that blessed communion with God. So obviously as Christians, a day in our lives is a day of experiential religion. The unfolding reality of a life lived under the fear and praise of God and increased knowledge of the relationship that we actually hold with the triune God. So we can study our commentaries, our devotionals, our theological works of current and past saints, but these things do not and they cannot replace the life experience of our fellowship with the Lord. So the psalmist says, In the Lord I put my trust. The saints of Christ know that it is by Christ alone that we have any hope of standing each day righteous before God. It is through Christ alone that we are justified. By faith alone in Christ that we are justified. See, we can't bring anything into our sanctity, into our salvation. We, we simply cling to what Christ has done and what Christ brings into our salvation. And so it is in the Lord that I put my trust. See, all Christians can echo that same great truth. In the Lord I put my trust. And why do we put our trust in God? Because it is God who has ultimately delivered us from sin, from damnation, from the punishment, the the actual justice that we deserve to be poured out upon us for our own actions. Christ has delivered us from these things. The Lord has delivered us. He's given us salvation. He's given us deliverance in Christ and so in the Lord I put my trust see the Psalms echo over and over that God is the rock God is the refuge God is the safety God is the shield of a Christian the righteous ones the saints they take their refuge in God he is the sure foundation a big piece to the Christian life is forsaking the world and our own power Philippians 3 verses 8 through 9 says Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered 
the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What a great statement. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. How beautiful that truth is that Paul lays out so so explicitly, so so plainly for us. So we cannot quarrel or question that statement. It's 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 completely clear. Christ has done everything required for us to be found righteous before God. God gave us the law. We cannot uphold the law no matter how hard we try. If you cling to the law and Christ, you're trying to bring your own merit into salvation. But Paul tells us that in Christ alone, I have found righteousness, a righteousness that is not from the law and the righteousness that is through faith in Christ. That righteousness which is from God by faith. God put forward his son on the cross for us to be received in faith. When we step up to Christ in faith, we take a hold of Christ in faith. We are joined to him in a great union of salvation and deliverance from sin. And a great beginning of an adventure from that sinful beginning to a glorified ending in Christ in which we enter in eternal life by that union with Christ, wherein we take the righteousness which is offered to us by him, we have it imputed to us, accredited to us on our account, cleansed of our sin, cleared of any debt, of any owing to God. We've been stamped righteous, declared righteous in the eyes of God by Christ alone because of his great work on that cross of victory. And we receive him by faith, and we rest upon him and we trust in him. The Lord, I put my trust. He is my rock. He is my refuge. He is my shield. In him is my salvation. We trust in God alone for our great deliverance. Romans 16.25 says, Now to him who is able to establish you. God alone is able to establish us. It is him who leads us, provides for us, builds us up and knocks us down according to his will. And ultimately, we will be glorified by him and for him. God alone is able to establish us. It is him alone who places us, who builds us up, who can knock us down. He provides for us. It is his grace that is dispensed for us, to us. And ultimately, our entire life lived out in Christ will end up being ultimately to be to the glory of him. When we die, when we enter that eternal blessedness, by that union we have with Christ and holding to him in faith, we will be glorified by God and we will be there to glorify God. And that is what the wicked cannot stand. They cannot stand that we will enter an eternal life of a blessedness where we will worship, we will praise, we will give thanksgiving, and we will honour God as God for all of the things he has done for us. And the wicked do not like that truth. They detest that truth. They refuse to look at that offer of eternal life as the great beauty and the great grace that it is. 
because it means that they must in humility bend the knee to God and honour him accordingly as God. In the beginning of this psalm, in verse 1, after that statement, in the Lord I put my trust, we are given the, the, the reply of the psalmist to these people, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? See, this is what he's saying in contrast to the truth in that in the Lord I put my trust. He is now saying to them, how dare you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain. To, to you know, potentially this could be some kind of mountain fortress or, or a place of, of physical grandeur and strength. Something that looks like sure deliverance. He's saying, in the Lord alone I will put my trust. In the Lord alone it is who I have put my trust in over and over again. And the Lord has not let me down. He is my trust. He is my rock. And he is my refuge. See, the worldly counsel is, is always the same. It will always tell us to find deliverance in the world, in people, in, in money, in the material world, in the physical world, in the things that are laid out in front of us. It will say to go to these things for deliverance. These things will be a great help. These things will be your surety. These will be your rock, your refuge. This is your safety. It always tells us to avoid God. Do not lean on God. Do not trust in God. They might say, well, why would God do that for you? Why would God do this for you? What makes you think God would do that for you? I don't think I don't think God would get in wouldn't get involved in this. It's too, it's too beneath it. That is not true, and that is a, that is the worldly counsel, the ungodly counsel that is um, that is actually dismissed in Psalm one. We are to avoid the ungodly counsel. We are to turn to the godly counsel, the righteous counsel, that which exalts the true God, that which does not deny God or deny our faith. See, the world and all that dwells in the world is fleeting. It's unable, it's powerless in contrast to the holy, all-knowing and all-powerful God who alone can establish us. See, it is God who, establish us, who establishes us. It is God who is our refuge and our rock. It is him who is our safety and our shield. It is by Christ that we are found righteous. See, it is, it is, we suffer all things, uh, the loss of all things, but count them as rubbish because of the things that we gain in Christ. So all things come from God. All the good things come from God. Our salvation comes from God. Our righteousness is found in God. It is God who establishes us. So why would we turn from God when we need deliverance and turn to the world that has not given us any deliverance, but has actually placed us in the, in, in the beginning in a position where we needed the deliverance of God? So we should always rest in the true knowledge that it is in God alone that we trust that we take refuge. We must dismiss and deny the worldly counsel, go after that righteous counsel, search the scriptures for the truth. Do not flee to the world and find deliverance there because it will just be fleeting. You will not be able to find anything to deliver you there. And so moving on to the next part of the psalm, in the ways of the world that we see in verses 2 and 3, for look, the wicked bend their bow. They make their, they make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? 
happens in the world has its ways. They are predictable because they are lifeless. They don't evolve, they don't progress in effectiveness or in power. They can obviously be glossed over with a new presentation or but an, an added edge of cunning, but they remain the same in essence. Deny God, turn to the world. For example, people may look to the strength or grandeur of the world and see in it a false display of that divine strength and security. But it's God alone who protects and provides. It is God alone that saves. The world will lead you every time into the way of wickedness and will always lead you away from God. But the ways of the wicked are that they shoot secretly at the upright in heart. <clears throat> it is not those of the world that need to be misled. They're already, they're already misled. They're already on that path of destruction and they're led that way daily by their own devices, by their own natures, their own wants. Satan and the world seek to destroy those who uphold the banner of Christ, those who glory in the cross. Galatians 6.14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So it is at the cross of Christ that we will be separated from the world. But we look at the cross of Christ as the great saving event that Christ took upon himself the sins of us who will believe in him and he will die for us, redeeming us. Or will we be as those who deny that great glory of the cross and they find in it moral lessons, moral teachings or or a good man who died. Not 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 to save people, but he, but he died in, in failing in his ministry. No. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, that I should boast in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle says, God forbid that I should boast in anything except the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is the great moment in time where all Christians can glory in a great salvation that has been offered to all of us. We all must take glory in the cross. Do not deny its magnificence. Do not deny its victory. I know it seems silly that you might look to the cross, the death of, a, of Christ, as a victory. How can it be a victory if he's died? It is at the cross that Christ disarmed the evil principalities, the powers, and and, and all of their, all, that great weapon that they try to use against us. Christ has disarmed them at the moment of the cross. He died freeing us from sin. He died freeing us from condemnation. He saved us. He's made us righteous. He has taken away that which would condemn us, that which the devil would use against us to knock us down and to destroy us. Christ has taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. The enmity between us and God is taken away at the great cross of victory. And it is in that cross that we should glory. And it is in that cross that we should never, ever deny the saving ministry of Christ. He saved us at the cross. He won the victory at the cross. He disarmed the devil at the cross. And he has redeemed us at the cross. See, when we think of the ultimate deliverance, we could think of countless worldly examples, perhaps of armies freeing captives or nations from tyranny, or even policemen saving hostages or victims. But as Christians, 
We have been those who were rescued by the divine hand when we were held as captives to the sin and destruction that was natural to us. See, we were held in Satan's stronghold by those evil principalities that twisted and pleased our bent nature until Christ knocked down the prison doors and released us to live as free men to glorify God. See, that great glorious cross of victory was a moment that we were freed as captives to the devil to live as free men to glorify God. And we were redeemed to that purpose, to bring glory and honour and praise to God for what he had done for us. God deserves glory. By nature, he deserves glory. And all of the work and, and the great providence that he has given unto us in our salvation and in our day-to-day lives just adds and adds and adds to that great truth that God deserves to be glorified by mankind. But obviously we find, just like the psalm says, that, the, uh, that God detests the wicked. See, God is righteous, perfectly righteous. He's holy and perfectly so. Whereas man is unholy, he's unrighteous, unjust. This isn't a somewhat unholy, but partly holy, slightly bad and and slightly good. The Bible says that there is none who does good, no, not one. We are perfectly unholy, perfectly unjust, perfectly sinful. But God is perfectly holy. He, By nature, he is at enmity with us and us with him. Nothing about God is desirable to a sinner. Now, naturally, you would think eternal life is pretty desirable for saints and for sinners alike. However, a sinner being promised eternal life and a holy fellowship with God is nothing short of detestable. An eternity spent with a God whose presence would devour us is not a desirable portion. See, the one who loves violence his soul hates. Those who desire sin are hated by God. His holy, loving nature that is perfect goodness cannot be brought into a loving communion of a soul that is hell-bent towards evil and sin. God cannot and he will not uphold those who hate good. Galatians 5.24 And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. See, to be a Christian is to put the old man to death. It's to live in newness of life. Romans 6 talks about the baptism, that we are baptized into the death of Christ. So when we come to Christ, we come to faith in him. The old man, that that man that is sinful by nature, wrathful by nature, hateful by nature, is put to death in Christ. And this is a daily thing as, as well as an ultimate thing where daily we need to be killing the sin that lives on in us. We need to be killing its passions and its desires. We need to be, be following after that life of righteousness, which is that newness of life. See, Christ has redeemed us out of that old life of sin and misery, of destruction that deserves condemnation and justice. And he's redeemed us to live in a newness of life, which, 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 which wants to honor him, which wants to live out a way of life that actually brings glory to him, that brings glory to God. We need to live lives of righteousness. And the further we go in living that life of righteousness and putting holiness at the top of our priorities... The, the, the further we would distance ourselves from that sinful passion, that sinful desire that would have us separate ourselves from God, 
that would have us separate ourselves from the righteousness of Christ, that would seek to drive a wedge between the truth of that that salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. It would it would it would force us, it would tempt us to mingle our own works, our own power, our own wisdom into the salvation that was being given to us in Christ alone. Everything that is required for salvation is found in Christ alone. We look back again to that great cross of victory. What happened at the cross? Well, Christ took upon himself our sin and died for our sin. And he gave to us his righteousness when we place our faith in him. See, the God is the judge of the universe. When we sin, each sin demands justice and the wages of sin is death. Each time we sin, if God is to be that just, holy judge, which he by nature is, he must make sure and see to it that every sin ever committed is judged accordingly and appropriately. He cannot simply forgive us by ignoring the truth of our heinous criminal acts that break his law. It would be the same as a criminal saying to a judge in a, in a, in a, in a court of law, I know I, I know I stole that car, but you know I'm sorry. And then the judge turned around and said, okay, if you said sorry, that's fine, you can go free. No. We desire as sinful humans that justice be met at all times, especially when, there's a, 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 when the law has been broken towards us that's affected us. We desire nothing but justice, and we're, we're not just by nature. Whereas God is perfectly just, he's perfectly holy by nature, and he will judge perfectly. And he cannot but judge perfectly. So at the cross, we see that the full payment that is required for all of our sins is met in the death of Christ, who has atoned for our sins. He's propitiated the wrath of God. He's taken that wrath of God upon himself that we might receive the love of God and not the righteous wrath of God. So to be a Christian is to put the old man to death and to live in that newness of life. And we end this psalm with that great truth. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. So when we follow God, trusting in him, we recognize him as our refuge, a place of divine safety and surety to be delivered from this world and its traps and snares to be carried into a life of holiness in a blessed eternity of Trinitarian devotion, a loving fellowship in which we will honour and praise the triune God in a perfect ceremony of praise, thanksgiving and glorifying for God's wondrous works and grace. This psalm so brilliantly lays out the case of divine adoration, in this respect stating that blessed truth, his countenance beholds the upright. This is the beautiful truth that it is to be saved under the grace of Christ, our shield of salvation. The opposite, the opposite is true for the wicked. Unrighteous people of the world, where the psalmist tells us in Psalm 80 that the wicked perish at the rebuke of God's countenance. To enjoy God's presence is not something we inherently deserve or have any right to. In fact, when we look at the biblical witness of the fallenness of man, we can look at it in Genesis, in various prophets, right through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. We can actually see that we deserve God's wrath and justice, not the delight of his countenance. 
to enjoy a fellowship, a relationship, a communion with God is not something we deserve inherently. We do not deserve it by birthright. It is something that cost the Son of God his life on earth and death at the cross to, to actually fix, to repair that, that enmity, that void between man and God was only solved at the cross of Christ. So that great victorious cross of glory has not only redeemed us from our sinful life, but has repaired and restored the means for a right relationship between man and God. This is one of the great benefits of enjoying the covenant of grace. We not only hold communion with God as saints saved by the blood of Christ, who glory alone in the cross, but we enjoy an actual closeness, a familiarity with the presence of God and a fellowship of love and devotion that was acquired for us and given us in Christ. So I do hope that this was an enjoyable episode. It was definitely an enjoyment to study it and to really look into some of those great themes of resting in that true knowledge of God, you know, looking at the ways of the world and how anti-biblical they are looking at that that great divine truth that God actually detests and hates the wicked. And obviously ending on that great um, verse of sort of divine adoration, that God is our righteous rock and that we will actually dwell under the great delight of his countenance is, is such a glorious reality that all Christians should strengthen themselves under the truth of. Something that I think is actually outstandingly admirable for from for the saints is that we will actually dwell in an eternal glorious life of communion with the holy triune god amen